it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Finally, step-by-step premium investment guidance for beginners. Led by... Andrew Sather, and Dave Ahern to decode industry jargon, silence crippling confusion, and help you overcome emotions by looking at the numbers. Your path to financial freedom starts now. All right, folks, well, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. This is episode 58. Tonight, Andrew and I are going to talk about financial ratios, and we're going to talk about some ones that we have not discussed before. So this will be fun. We're going to take a chance, take a shot at talking about return on assets, return on equity, and return on invested capital, as well as maybe a few other tidbits. So Andrew, why don't you go ahead and take our first shot at return on assets? Okay. Yeah, I could do that. Return on assets. So basically, the three of these ratios... Um, a good way to think about them is they're kind of like efficiency ratios. They are ways to evaluate whether a business is good at creating cash with what they have. So, you know, we've talked about some ratios in the past. We we talked about valuations. Um, episode 11 is really good for that. Uh, so we should, you know... I think we also talked about the cash flow statement. I know we did that. We might have done the income statement. So, you know, we're trying to piecemeal these lessons here and there. Um, so these efficiency ratios are good to keep in your back pocket for doing the kind of stuff that some of these value investors like to do. I know Buffett likes to use efficiency ratios like, I think he uses ROE. Joel Greenblatt uses ROIC. So these are some good ones to to know. and to understand. Obviously, some of these accounting metrics are a little bit hard to conceptualize if you aren't familiar with financial statements. So I would recommend maybe if that's a little bit over your head to try to learn some of the basics first, try to tackle a financial statement, and then maybe go back to an episode like this, and then you can really comprehend ROA, return on assets. So that's simply like it sounds. So when you hear all of these return, they're basically talking about like what a company is able to create as far as profits go. So the simplest way to use this equation is to say return is net income, and then you divide it by assets, which is total assets. So pretty self-explanatory, I would say. 
you think about the type of businesses that are going to be scoring better on both return on assets and return on equity. Uh, one that comes to mind would be like a Facebook, right? Where they don't need as many assets, pretty much any financial website or why did I say financial? That At least my brain's on somewhat of the right general topic. But, you know, any website, any business that isn't very capital intensive, doesn't need huge expensive factories in order to run, uh, they're generally going to score really well on ROA or ROE. And so I think ROE is also self-explanatory. Dave, do you want to talk about that one and talk about anything I missed about ROA? Yeah, the ROA what I like about it is it's obviously it's very, you know, very, very simple to calculate. And as Andrew was saying, it is an efficiency ratio. And I think that the thing that I like about return on assets is it gives you, it gives you an idea of how effectively the company is converting its money into income. And obviously the higher the number, the better it is. And so as Andrew and I like to talk about a lot, assets are really what drive a business earning more money. And when you think about return on assets, the best way to think about it when you're using it as as a way to value a company is to to look at the financial ratio as a comparison to like companies. So for example, you wouldn't take a railroad and look at the return on assets and compare that to a bank. Or you wouldn't take the railroad and compare it to Facebook because they're two different types of businesses where it's going to be most effective is when you're going to use it in in a relationship to other like to like businesses. So let's say, you know, the Fang stocks, which was, you know, all the rage. So if you take Facebook and maybe Google or Alphabet and compare those return on assets, those it's going to be more even comparison than it would be if you took uh, Facebook and compared it to Wells Fargo, for example. Those would not be the similar type of assets. And when you also think about those types of assets, you also have to look at the, the business that it's in. So a return on assets for a company that has less assets, it's, you know, it's going to be a much, I guess, lower number is the best way of putting it. Because Facebook is is what you would consider kind of an asset light company because their assets are really more based on their technology and they don't have hard physical stuff. So when you think about a railroad or you think about Walmart, you know, they got stuff, you know, they got buildings and they got, you know, distribution centers and they got equipment and they have all the product they have and all those things are physical things and that's, you know, that's what I think of when I think of assets. And this is not a, a, a diss on Facebook in comparison. They just don't have that kind of stuff. You know, they don't have lots of things sitting around. It's more about the people that are working and their brain power is what generates the assets for their company. And so when you're looking at return on assets, to me, you have to always use it in comparison to another company that you're trying to compare it to because it's going to give you a much better feel for whether the return on assets for this particular company is good or not. And it also, you also want to look at the the type of industry that it's in. So if you're looking at banks, then you're going to want to compare it to other banks. So you're going to compare JP Morgan to Wells Fargo, to Bank of America, to 
you know, whoever, U.S. Bank, whatever bank that you're comparing it to, that that will give you a really good idea of whether return on assets is a good number for Wells Fargo, whereas the same would apply if you're looking in the technology sector. So you're looking at Microsoft and Facebook and, you know, Amazon-ish, you know, other types of companies that you can think of, that would give you a better number uh, with return on assets. And, you know, it's it's a super easy formula to, to calculate and it takes just a few seconds to figure out the biggest issue with it is just understanding what it is that you're comparing to when you're looking at efficiency ratios you always want to think about how that's comparing things to things okay so i think i've beaten that into the to death so andrew did you well, have anything else so you wanted to add question, on that <laughs> yeah, yeah my question i guess when you have companies with goodwill and stuff right because Goodwill is a way to measure basically what a company's assets is that's not like a physical thing, like you said. So right. an example of Goodwill would be, you know, this example gets used all the time, but whatever. Hershey's. Buffett likes the type of businesses that have brand names like Hershey's or Coca-Cola because right. not only are their factories valuable, but the fact that people love these brands is so valuable. So sometimes you can't put a dollar amount on exactly how much people love a certain brand and mm-hmm. so accountants will try to do that with a metric on the balance sheet that they call goodwill uh, they also refer to it as intangible assets sometimes those terms are interchangeable but it's basically talking about similar things so my question for you is you know how would goodwill affect roa or roe because they're essentially looking at very similar things and you know what kind of problems could arise from a goodwill calculation being wrong and and you know being too aggressive or being too conservative on how valuable a company's brand or their patents or any of those things really are well you know you got to take it i guess business by business really because you know goodwill is it's really kind of a what's the word uh, there's a there's a term i heard buffett use for it it's kind of a a catch-all for wherever accountants want to throw things that they're not really sure what they want to do with. And it can be misleading and they can use it to hide a lot of gobbledygook in there that really is not an asset. And I know that when I have done, when I look at owner earnings, for example, Goodwill is, is excluded from that. Buffett doesn't consider it a valid asset. And he's the one that kind of came up with this owner earnings topic. And this is for a whole nother discussion. But I guess where I'm going with that is I always think of goodwill as it. I really have to dive into what's really in that number, because like you said, it can some companies will delineate on the the uh, the statement what the items are in goodwill and other ones will not. They'll just, you know, there's goodwill and there's $2.2 billion of it. Well, what is that? (laughs) So then you have to go to the footnotes and you have to try to dig through and find out what it is. And it can really lead you down a really big rabbit hole. And I know when you're calculating just return on assets, goodwill is not something that's generally discussed because of that very fact that it can be, it can be misleading and it can it can also be intangible such that it's something that doesn't really I want to say it doesn't affect the business, 
but it could be something that is not really, it's really hard to put a value on. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. So you think it would be fair to say that a business that's maybe less asset, I think you said asset light, asset heavy. So a business that's more asset light, doesn't need as much capital, doesn't need as many assets. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if it's also additionally kind of have a higher proportion of goodwill comprising their assets that maybe ROA would not be a good efficiency ratio to use on yeah. that particular company. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of how I would think of it, yeah. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to Nerd Wallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before Nerd Wallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Nerd Wallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. Cool. I mean, I thought we we should present that too. So yeah. you want to do ROE? Yes. So return on equity. Uh, return on equity again, a very simple uh, ratio to calculate, and it is our friend net income uh, divided by shareholder equity. And return on equity is a great way for a company to illustrate how much money it's making on its equity. So for every dollar of equity you have, how many dollars can you make your income? And again, the higher the ratio, the better it is. 
And <clears throat> excuse me, again, it really comes back to looking at using return on equity as a comparison to other like businesses. You wouldn't want to compare the return on equity of Berkshire Hathaway to Facebook. There's just, there's, it's not the same. They're not the same businesses. So you're going to want to use that to help. You're going to want to have the return on equity match the type of business that you're comparing it to. And it's super easy to calculate. And it's something that I do whenever I look at any, any type of company. So I guess the difference between ROA and ROE in this case would, because we're looking at shareholders equity rather than total assets. Mm -hmm. So the problem with total assets is that, you know, if a company has a bunch of total liabilities to go along with it, think, you know, like Lehman Brothers had plenty of total assets, but plenty of total liabilities to go along with it. You're, you know, maybe potentially getting yourself into a stock that seems like it has a great return on what it's bringing in, but it's fueling that return with a bunch of debt, right? Yep. Or a bunch of expenses, whatever comes up as liabilities, that's going to make shareholders equity lower. That's right. where return on equity can come in. And then you can say, okay, now we're kind of killing two birds with one stone because we're looking at profitability as it relates to assets. But, you know, the less debt we have, the the, the higher the, sh- the equity is going to be. And so, you know, you can look at a business and say, wow, they're really able to make that many, that much money, that much profit, that, that much earnings out of such a such a small equity amount, and they're doing it taking on less debt. Then that becomes even more impressive than a company with either lower ROE or, you know, like a high ROA but low ROE. So I think those can kind of be useful in that way. Uh, I personally don't use either. And, you know, I'll, I'll kind of describe why, but just from a surface level, I would say I'd probably prefer to use ROE and, and not really use ROA. It just seems like ROE just makes more sense in my head and it kind of already covers what ROA would cover, but then also gives you that liability uh, consideration to go along with it. Hey, you, what's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's free ebook at stockmarketpdf.com. You won't regret it. Yes, I, I would agree with that. The, the 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 big reason why I use them is because I invest in banks and you do not. And return on assets and return on equity are two ratios that are very helpful in comparing how your bank is doing compared to you know, other banks in, in the industry. So when you're looking at JP Morgan and you want to go, Hey, I, you know, is this, you know, besides doing other valuation metrics, you can also look at these two ratios and they can help you determine whether they're really doing a good job compared to their peers or they're, you know, sucking compared to their peers. And so it can be helpful in that regard. And that's, that's what I use them for. If I'm looking at investing in, I don't know, Berkshire Hathaway, no, I wouldn't use it. But if I am looking at, you know, any sort of financial institution, whether it's a bank, um, a financial, you know, an investment bank or an insurance company, I would definitely use them because they're helpful in comparing like uh, industries. So how would that, you know, if you're, if you're looking at several years, is it 
Maybe it goes without saying that if you find a company with increasing ROE every year, that's going to be more favorable to one that's maybe decreasing but might be higher at the time. Or does that yes. is that like against basis by basis situation? No, it's you know you definitely you want to look at it. Um, for example, I was just doing some some research on J.P. Morgan just recently. And I was noticing that their return on equity had been increasing over the last two or three um, years. And I started looking at it quarter by quarter just to kind of delve more into it to understand what it was I was looking at. I was comparing it to Wells Fargo, who has been going through lots and lots of legal hits. You know, just every time you turn around, it's body blow, body blow. And so they dug their own hole. So they're 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 reaping what they sown. But when you look at the return on equity comparing JP Morgan, whose stock prices, you know, shot up compared to Wells Fargo's, you can also see the difference in the return on equity and the return on assets that they've done a much better job. Would you consider these metrics like kind of more the growth component rather than value? Yes. Cool. These <laughs> easy, easy questions, easy answers. Yeah. Yeah. We should also probably cover return on capital. So how would you describe that? How would I describe return on capital? This is this is a tricky one because go ahead if if anybody out there questions, you know, the the confusion of this ratio, just try to Google it and see that you get like five different answers. So <laughs> yeah. that's why I asked generally, how would you answer this question? Um well, let me look at Investopedia. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you how I'll, how I would define it. Okay, uh, I would the way I look at it is it's just return on equity, adding debt to the equation. So okay. when I mentioned before, you have ROA and ROE, and return on equity is basically taking liabilities into account, right? So then when you look at return on capital, it's doing the same kind of thing but now instead of just looking at uh making sure we consider liabilities we're also making sure we consider debt so you know are these liabilities comprised of a lot of debt or are they like quote-unquote good liabilities where they're more they're more like expenses that you need to run the business rather than debt where you need to make debt payments and there's interest attached to it so i hope that makes sense from an audio medium basically you know, when you when you look at the difference between total assets and shareholders' equity, which is the difference between return on assets and return on equity, we're looking at total assets, and then when you minus when you take out total liabilities from total assets, that's how you get shareholders' equity. When you want to look at return on capital, when they're talking about capital, they're talking about basically it's what what the equity what's freed up from the equity. So basically, the logic behind the equation is that. Uh, sure, you might have these assets, but in the worst case, let's say all your debt needed to be paid today, well, you're going to have to sell off some of those assets in order to make that debt square. So that's where, um, that, and then what you have left after making those debts clean, then that would be your capital. So that's why they say return on capital. So to go from return on equity to return on capital, we're taking the same return on equity equation and we're just adding liabilities to the shareholders' equity. So again, we're generally still looking at net income on the top, and then on the bottom, 
you're considering what's the equity that the that that the business has plus how much do they owe as far as debt goes so taking those liabilities a step further and that's really going to tell you i think you know maybe you're getting a little too detailed in the sense because you know i can see it being useful where you have uh similar businesses but you know, one's maybe better at, at keeping the business lean, uh, not not overcompensating for management, right? Because if if businesses have return similar return on equity, then that means their liability number is going to be generally the same, um, mostly. But then, you know, if if the return on capital is way different, well, then maybe one business loaded up on a bunch of debt, but you know was able to cut corners in other aspects to kind of make it balance it out. But then you can't hide the fact that you have a lot of debt in return on capital. So that would be like a potential upside to to using return on capital. And I know if you go on Google and, and you search, you know, sometimes they'll talk about instead of earnings or net income, they'll talk about subtracting dividends from it, or they'll talk about um, operating income. And so looking looking at earnings in a different way and trying to f- to figure out the operating side without looking at how a company's investing or financing. Um so that's kind of like the breakdown behind it and can be useful. I know uh like I mentioned at the top of the show, Joel Greenblatt likes to use his version of return on capital and he combines that with the earnings yield, which is the inverse of price to earnings ratio. So that's his way of finding kind of like a growth and value mix. And that can be something useful if if it's something you're willing to dig into and kind of commit to, you know, at least understanding, okay, this is what we mean by capital. And if, you know, the, the, the logic behind it is sound, you know, you want businesses that are able to create profits and are, if they're able to do it without needing very much capital or equity or assets, then the whole idea behind that is that, well, now you can scale much faster because the more money you need to create money, the slower your growth is going to be. But if the, if the, if the business is more lean, if it's more efficient, then as it say, they have a record year of profits. Well, now you pile that in and you reinvest it. Now you can double, triple, quadruple, multiply how much you can make in the next year compared to maybe a business where they might have record year profits, but to create a whole new, to create growth, they might need to build a whole new manufacturing plant in another city. And so they can't build, they can only build one plant, whereas uh, a company that can build five offices and, and 5x their income, well, that's the kind of thing that like a high return on capital, return on assets, return on equity ratio has the potential to be able to show you uh, as far as opportunity for growth. So I think that's something that's key to understand if if you're really looking at learning about these and applying them to an investment thesis. So do you see any downsides to this? I mean, I wouldn't call it a downside per se. I would just say there's kind of other ways of looking at the same thing. Okay. So I'll say this, like, you may it sounds like I know a lot about these ratios, but you know why don't I use them myself personally? I think for one return on capital return on assets return on equity, 
I think it can fluctuate over the years. And so like if, and I'm not saying that anybody who uses these ratios is doing this, but I would say like, I think it's easier for businesses to improve margins. That That's kind of the way that people reference it a lot when they, when they talk about profits and earnings and all those things and they talk about in the business sense. So like, you know, that's kind of why I like to, to favor uh, making sure that I'm getting more assets with my investments with like a kind of like a more of a margin of safety approach, right? Because a company might have great return on equity for a year, two years, three years, whatever. That's that's great. Um, and to me, that's the same as like having a great earnings picture. But, you know, as a value investor, you have to think, okay, would I prefer to buy a company that has better return on equity return on assets and better growth in those in those metrics or would i prefer to get these assets at a discount and hope that they can improve return on equity return on assets and so i think that's kind of a cons- a, uh, another thing that we should consider if we're thinking about using these ratios is how does it relate to a value investing approach return on equity and assets is something that can always be improved and it's always going to change throughout the years. You're going to see it fluctuate. It's going to fluctuate with this, the cyclical nature of an economy and an industry. So, you know, uh, a comp- you know, if the industry as a whole is having a really strong year, well, then they're going to have really strong return on equity. And so if you understand that that's the reason why, and, you know, again, comparing it to other businesses in their industry, Maybe that was a poor example to bring up, but you know, let's say uh, a company had a lawsuit that just they, they just won favorably, and so they got like a bunch of earnings to come in all in a year. So their return on equity just shot up for a year compared to their competitors. Well, that might not be necessarily a good indication of a long-term growth, right? And so you kind of have to think of it in that way, and it's like, okay, well, do I want to buy businesses that are increasing return on equity, but maybe like decreasing their their total shareholders' equity, I like to look at growth, and I like to look at there are the earnings growing, and is the asset or the are the assets growing? And, and basically, what I'm saying by that is are, is the shareholders' equity growing? Is the book value growing? Because you could have a company where the return on equity is increasing, even though earnings stay constant, because they are selling off assets and their shareholders' equity is going down. So I hope that makes sense too, is that if you're going to use return on equity to be cognizant of, well, where's the book value moving? Because the book value could be going down, which is bad, but it's going to make the return on equity go up, which looks good when it's in fact not. So, I mean, that's pretty much what we had today as far as a couple efficiency ratios, a couple financial ratios you'll you'll hear if you ever dive into finance, you ever dive into Wall Street, you dive into some of the stuff that they kind of use in the industry. And when they talk and focus more on growth and less on value, that's why you'll you'll hear some of some of these metrics. We didn't talk about all of them, obviously. And there's stuff like operating margins and you know lots of fun different textbook level type stuff. Obviously, Dave and I like to take a value approach. We like to focus on what's the value of the business and and how does it relate to what the stock market is pricing it for us at. And so, you know, obviously profitability 
becomes a factor in valuation, but it's definitely not the whole picture. And that's why we talk a lot about margin of safety and price-based ratios and valuations and things of that nature. So keep that in mind. Hopefully you saw kind of the pros and the cons behind some of these. And although it's not as easy as kind of seeing it visually on the screen or practicing with a ratio yourself, uh, it does make for some good discussion and some good kind of mind dancing that you have to do in order to understand, okay, this is why this is why this is useful and this is how I can apply it. And I'm glad Dave brought up the whole like making sure that you're within the industry and comparing inside of there and, and looking over several years because that can be a useful tool. As far as couple of bookkeeping things at the very end before we wrap up. I'm going to be in Omaha this weekend. So I'm hoping this post goes live by then, Dave. Do you know? Yes, I will. Okay. <laughs> it's going to be live. So you're going to hear this probably either. Maybe you'll be on the way to Omaha like I will be listening to this on the airplane or in your car. But if you're wanting to get like inside scoop on what's going on at the meeting, I want to be posting my whole weekend on instagram put like a story together and just you know put little snippets i'll I'll film buffett and i'll be meeting up with preston and stig from the investors podcast uh i've been on preston's i've been on their podcast once before before they got famous but uh i'll be meeting up with them so you'll you'll probably see pictures from that meetup on instagram as well so if that's something you're interested in seeing you can follow me at House of Sloth. Uh, it's mostly a personal one, but I may be putting some of my stock market stuff in there too. Uh, so that's something to check out if you're interested in Warren Buffett and all that good stuff. One other thing I want to say before we wrap up. Got a cool email from uh, Josh. Uh, he says, I'm a, you know, he said he had a couple other questions, but the, this last part, he said, I'm a novice and just getting into value investing. And as much as I'm investing in the market, I'm lockstep with your stock values as well as Dave Ahern. Corning the exception, however, I do love the debate <laughs> slash devil advocate thoughts. So Dave, the way I interpreted it is Andrew scores one and you scored zero because he said Corning the exception. So that means he didn't he he likes he's lockstep with all of your stock values except for your idea of corning, yes. keep corning, even though it has negative earnings. Yes. So we're talking about one of the older episodes. It was episode 53 where Dave and I had a little friendly debate. So I want actually everybody listening to to solve the debate for us. So I'm going to set up a Twitter poll and I'm going to say, you know, uh, when it comes to negative earnings, do you sell automatically? It's going to be one choice or does it depend on the company? And so depending on how you guys vote is going to decide whether... Dave was right or I'm right. Um, so follow me at Value Trap Blog if you want to vote for the poll. I'll leave that up and we'll see what the masses say. Because right now I have a 1 0 lead and it's feeling really nice. <laughs> and it should it should feel nice. Yeah, I mean, and it's like with Kershaw on the mound and you guys are down by one. I mean, it's it's in the bag. <laughs> you know it's all about that, right? I sure do. Yes, I do. Although my Giants have been hanging in there so far, so I'm, I'm, you know, you give me Johnny Cueto, I'll, I'll 
I'll take that bet. Okay. Well, maybe we'll see each other later on in the year. Yeah, maybe. That would be nice. All right, folks. Well, that's going to wrap up our conversation tonight. I hope you enjoyed our discussion on financial ratios. And also Andrew's little tidbit about his trip to Berkshire. I'm very jealous. I will be going next year. I promise you that. And so you guys go out and invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. Find some great intrinsic value and have a great week. We'll talk to you next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com.